We are underway. Baseball season has started. Fantasy baseball season has started. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. This is Fantasy Baseball Today. We want your emails. FantasyBaseball at CBSI.com. I have said the word baseball now five times in the first 15 seconds of this podcast. What's up, Ethan Scott? How much baseball did you watch yesterday? Baseball, baseball, baseball. There it is. Yeah. I saw just enough that I know I should congratulate Fernando Rodney and Sung Wan Oh on their victories yesterday. Good job, guys, getting your wins. It's too bad Madison Bumgarner could not have pitched as well as you did. Uh, the yeah. assault on wins. It, it sounds like the middle game was the most interesting with Madison Bumgarner homering twice, and that's the one I didn't catch any of. Would, would you believe that uh, of the three of us, the only one here who did not watch the Yankees game yesterday was me? Ah, I was traveling. I, I don't believe that. What is they wrong looked with you? Awful. I was traveling. I didn't get a chance to see it, but uh, we'll we'll re. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't look very good. We'll recap uh, every game, and as you know, the friendship of Scott and Adam, Team Scam, Scum. We got an email about that. We did get an email about that. It's we clearly could, Scum. Scum. We could read because that a little bit. The Adam a says, and Adam. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Tough break. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going with Scam. But actually, it kind of makes sense to be scum. I mean, scam isn't exactly like so glowing, a flowery. Yeah, you know, yeah, not so great either. No, well, the, the, the fate of our friendship of Team Scam is all about Dexter Fowler, the one guy that Scott let me pick against his wishes. <laughs> and I just want to say, not the one guy. He's got a. It's one of two guys. He's got a 400 on base percentage, and he's on pace to score 162 runs. I'm feeling pretty good about Dexter Fowler right now. Okay. It's it's one game. He'll he'll probably have a high on base percentage. I was more concerned. Will he give you us enough home runs and stolen bases? Don't worry about him. He's gonna be fine. Now, opening day is today. I want to give you a little perspective. Just remember, in 2015, Kyle Kendrick faced uh faced Milwaukee. He was a Rockies pitcher at the time, and he went to Milwaukee. He threw seven scoreless innings. He struck out six batters without a walk, and Heath dubbed Kyle Kendrick. Kyle Kershaw on uh, the next day's podcast. He then gave up 32 earned runs in his next five starts. 2016, Steven Matz uh, was not opening day, but it was his first start, so whatever. He gave up seven earned runs in an inning and two-thirds, and then he was very good after that. And also last year, Francisco Rodriguez, I don't remember if this was opening day. I think it was. He gave up three runs on four hits in his first appearance of the season. So just putting everything I, in perspective. I just want to be clear. This section was titled Opening Day Perspective, and one of the three things actually happened on opening day. It's, a, it's first game first game perspective. I, I think K-Rod. <laughs> I think it's two or three. I think it's two or three. Um, but let's talk about some actual opening day milestones from yesterday. And, and we're going to talk about everything from yesterday, including San Juan O, Fernando Rodney, and Mark Melanson all off to bad starts. Uh, Carlos Martinez with 10 strikeouts and 21 swinging strikes. And Roberto Osuna on the DL. Uh, just, we got a lot, a lot of lineup stuff and what we're looking for in today's games. Maybe some DFS advice and your emails. Um, Masahiro Tanaka. Had the worst opening day start in Yankees history. Uh, Tanaka gave up eight hits and seven runs in two and two-thirds. He gave up two home runs, and uh, it was weird. Last year, Tanaka was the uh, number 15 starting pitcher in points, number 13 in Roto. You just don't really expect this from him, especially against Tampa Bay. Any concerns about Tanaka, guys? If you're his owner, you're probably feeling a little betrayed because he probably had the most dominant spring of any pitcher period yep 
But am I worried? No. I mean, he's he's going to have bad starts. And it, it, this was kind of like there were a lot of weird like defensive lapses that happened for the Yankees, and there was that two-run homer from Longoria that barely scraped the one portion of the wall and dead left that was shorter than the rest of it. And just it seemed like everything that could go wrong did go wrong for him, and I'm not really – no, I'm not worried. So the Yankees got unlucky yesterday, and they're going to be fine? That, that's what you're saying? <laughs> they played terrible. <laughs> I may I, I may uh, need to rearrange my standings <laughs> predictions for the Yan- Yankees in last place. Okay, yeah. 0-162. Well, those, those, uh, those were the two bottom feeders in the AL East, I think, for all three of us and, and Chris, too. Um, how about Madison Bumgarner? He became the first pitcher in baseball history to hit two home runs on opening day. And I ask you, what if hitting stats counted for pitchers? Don't get Scott and I started on this fight because <laughs> we've fought over this before. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I looked it up and pitchers combined to hit 136 with a 310 OPS. Not OBP, but OPS. Let's, I'm, you know, Going off the top of my head with those numbers, but it was something that ridiculously bad. So, like, the occasion, the, the odd pitcher who has a good power game, or even a halfway decent power season, like, isn't real, nearly worth the negative impact of all the other pitchers. Well, negative impact. We got it from three guys in the bullpen last night. Let's talk about some closer problems. Senwan O, an inning in two thirds. I don't know why they had to. I guess, you know, he came on with runners on first and second in the eighth with one out. So they extended him quite a bit. And, um, I don't know. I, I ended up watching the eighth and ninth innings of last night's game this morning and just to see what happened with Senwan O. And I, I'm not worried. I'm sure you guys aren't either. He did fine in the eighth. He came in, and by the time he gave up that home run to Wilson Contreras, he had thrown 28 pitches entering the, the at-bat. Matt Carpenter made a really bad play before that. What should have been ruled an error was ruled a hit. So can we just eliminate any are-you-concerned-about-Senwano discussion? It's too early to be consi- worried about him. It was more like, oh. <laughs> but Fernando Rodney, on the other hand, uh, was really bad. He only gave up a run, but he left the bases loaded. He gave up two hits, two walks, and, and it's— Honestly got me thinking like, do I even need to, like, do I even start Fernando Rodney in my head-to-head categories league? Because <laughs> the saves are gonna be, like, okay, he, he could get saved, but he's gonna kill me in whipping ERA! He's, he's just not good and got presumably. off to a bad start yesterday. Yeah, presumably if he keeps the jo- job long enough. I mean, it's, it's, you know, what, what's happening here is kind of confirmation bias, like, I'm not going to worry about Son 1-0. I'm right. not going to worry about Mark Melanson, who we're about to talk about, okay. because I had every reason coming into the season to believe they're good. But then Fernando Rodney, like he is, he was the least talented pitcher in a closer role. Maybe John Mark Gomez, maybe Brandon Kinsler, but it's that three, that trio, and then um, of that trio, Rodney is the one whose team has the most to lose by keeping him in that role. It's just there isn't a clear replacement yet so i feel like he's going to get maybe an undeservedly long leash yeah i would say I, you i'm not i don't want you to go drop him adam i'm not gonna drop him. i think i think what you want to do in a head-to-head categories league specifically is look at your matchup that week if you're playing a team that doesn't have any closers and you've already got one there's no reason to start him but sure it, i'm still going to start him most weeks where i think he might make the difference between winning or losing the saves category but yeah. look go ahead tom wilhelmson 
J.J. Hoover, they're both in the Diamondbacks bullpen. They both have closing experience. I think there's somebody will emerge eventually as a viable Rodney alternative. Yeah, so I was, if he keeps this up, I was going to mention it won't Hoover. Be People, Sorry, we keep talking. Yeah, no, it's okay. Time. People, people want to know who the next guy is. I mean, Randall Delgado is there too, but Hoover is probably worth mentioning because this time last year we were talking about him potentially being the, well, not this time, but a few weeks ago last year we we're talking about him being maybe the Reds closer because in 2015 he had a 2.94 ERA. That was his third of four seasons with a, a sub three ERA. Uh, you know, he he had a good year. Then last year was really bad. He only threw 18 and two-thirds innings. Hoover had a 13.50 ERA. It's kind of a lost year for him, and now he's on a new team. But this is interesting because I think the Diamondbacks could actually be pretty good. You know, you're not talking about Brandon Kinsler and the Twins. You're talking about a team that might might win some games and, and get a lot of saves. So whoever emerges there, if it's not Rodney, could could be pretty valuable. Right, Adam? I mean, technically, Rodney himself could be pretty valuable. Mm-hmm. It's He had a good stretch with the Padres early last season, a good stretch with the Cubs late this season before. And he's made a a very long career out of being sucking just not quite bad enough to lose his job. Yeah, he got (laughs) So it shouldn't surprise anyone if he bounces back and gets converts his next two or three save opportunities before imploding again. I would still guess he's my top choice to lose his job, though, of any closer. Okay, so he also, by the way, pitched in a non-save situation, if you want to give him that excuse. Let's talk about Carlos Martinez, but I spelled it with a K instead of a C. So clever. Thank you. Seven and a third, six hits, no runs, no walks, ten strikeouts. <laughs> he he. T- they talked about him maybe pitching more to contact. He wasn't a great strikeout pitcher last year. I don't think Martinez had good strikeout numbers in spring training, but uh, yeah, this was this was tremendous. Twenty-one swinging strikes. And uh, last year, Martinez had two games with double-digit strikeouts. Both were against Milwaukee, and the Brewers led baseball in strikeouts last year. The Cubs, by the way, were ninth in strikeouts, most strikeouts. Uh, but, yeah, what you, would you think? I mean, pretty nasty stuff last night from Carlos Martinez. Yeah, I saw a couple tweets from Chris Towers, and I hate to, like, read his tweets on the show when he's not even here. But he said 45% of Martinez's pitches last night were change-ups, and he got 16 of his whiffs on that pitch. He'd never thrown more than 29% of changeups at any start in his career. And I gotta track down Chris and see where he's finding this information this early. Cause I was looking for some pitch FX stuff this morning and couldn't find it. This oh. was, uh, last night. Yeah. So Chris was at the I, game. He was charting it. <laughs> we sent him on assignment. That's pretty cool. Um, I mean, he, yeah, he, and he was throwing, he, like, he hit 100 miles per hour. And, and he's had troubles getting lefties out. So if, if this changeup is now a huge part of his repertoire, mm-hmm. he's probably going to have an exceptional year. He never had a start last year with 21 swinging strikes. The most he had was 20. He only did that once. And um, it seemed like, you know, since I don't have the pitch FX information, I'm just kind of speaking anecdotally, but it seemed like he was hitting 100 more consistently last night than I remember him doing that. So that's... And you throw in his secondary stuff and the movement and everything. It's, yeah, I, I think, like, I'm not really changing anything yet just on one start, but you could certainly see the potential for this guy to develop into a true ace based on that start. Carlos Martinez, outstanding beginning to the season. If you want to go to Brooks Baseball, by the way, Scott, they do have, uh, updated pitch Good. effects now. I'm looking at it. And, uh, yeah, he averaged 
basically the same as he averaged on his four-seam fastball in April 2016. I don't know, game by game, but but whatever. Carlos Martinez, great job. Hooray. Uh, anything stand out to you guys yesterday from the three games that we haven't talked about? A couple things. Aledmus Diaz stole two bases. Yeah, John Lester. And he only had four last year. It was against John Lester, but he's, you know, pretty fast. I looked, and, though. He only had, like, I think his minor league high was, like, six. Maybe that was at one stop. But stolen bases are mostly a matter of desire. I'm not uh, Anybody can steal bases he if stole they just third. to run to second. Scott, he yeah. stole third base. It was, it was, it, I'm just saying it was mostly about Lester yesterday. It probably was. Just one point that out. I mean, if we, that, that was one of the more notable things that happened yesterday. You would agree. It's worth discussing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Good day for Kevin Kiermeyer and, uh, Randall Gritchick went atop the, uh, initial waiver wire claim or article today. He's still only 63% owned. He could just have a monster year. Yeah. What is it, um, with the, what did you find when you wrote about him? You included him in Sleepers 2.0, right? Yes, and it had to do with his – I don't have the exact piece of data right here in front of me. It had to do with his profile as a hitter and his line drive rate and his hard contact rate, and such few hitters had matched those numbers. Mm-hmm. I will find it before the podcast is over, and we will have a Randall Gritchick section. I know we were raving about his uh, power peripherals from two years ago at this time last year, and, and that you know he had kind of – he had some issues early last year where he was getting left out of the lineup at times and just seemed like a long time. It took him a long time to really um, to find his form. But he is a guy with big power potential if he makes enough contact and if he plays as consistently as it sounds like he's going. Here play. comes the Randall Gritchick information. He has a 43% fly ball rate and a 39% hard contact rate for his career. Only 15 hitters have topped both of those marks over a full season for the last five years. Mm. Chris Davis did it three times. Poppy did it twice. Carter, Trumbo, 12 of the 15 guys to top those marks had 29 home runs, and half of them had at least 38 home runs. And when you say 15 players did it, that that includes repeats, right? Like it's happened 15 times? Or, 15 or, players did it. Oh, 15 different players. Right. Okay. Uh well all right yeah Grichik sixty he's actually behind the times here Heath he's now sixty four percent owned I'm cre- driving it up creeping up <laughs> uh actually he and one other player who I think are pretty similar had really good 2015s and then were total busts in 2016 both played yesterday the other David Peralta for the Diamondbacks who would you rather own Grichik or Peralta Grichik. I would also rather own Grichik. all right I'll remind everybody what Randall Grichik did in 2015 he uh, hit 276 with a 548 slugging percentage, 17 home runs in 103 games. He does have bad plate discipline, though. 56 walks, 283 strikeouts in 283 games. Um, all right, let's do uh, let's do the news and notes. Roberto, oh sorry, was there anything else from yesterday that you? Uh... All right, we'll get well, to Nunez it. Nunez had two stolen bases. I mean, it was a good first game from a popular bust pick. Um, I, I think you mentioned Kiermaier had a good game. He, uh, that's, he had a stolen base off Gary Sanchez. Yeah. I was Nobody big into the stolen that. bases yesterday, one of the, apparently. One of the throws that Sanchez didn't throw into the outfield. And, uh, <laughs> I think we can confirm AJ Pollock looks like he's going to be okay. Yep. Good start for him. I think it's funny how yep. Scott likes Aledvis Diaz and he's like, hey, Aledvis Diaz stole two bases. 
doesn't like Eduardo Nunez. He's like, yeah, Eduardo Nunez is still two bases. Good start for him. But I thought that was encouraging, you know. And he doubled, too, Eduardo Nunez. And I'm with you. I sure. mean, I didn't draft Eduardo Nunez even when he kept falling and falling and falling. I just – I don't have much faith in him, but good start for him. There's a lot more we can talk about. Uh, is that Grinky? His velocity, and I haven't looked at the numbers yet, but just from watching the gun during the game – it did not look like his velocity was as big of concern as what it had been all spring. I didn't. Well, now I can check Brooks Baseball because apparently it's been updated. I was able to check on Fangraphs. Yeah. He averaged, according to Fangraphs, 91.8 on his four-seamer last year, and in this opening day start it was 91 even. Right. So that's not yeah, – I, I agreed. It, it wasn't as alarming as I thought it would be. And uh, if I look at it on Brooks Baseball now, they have him averaging – on his four-seamer, 91.6 compared to... Um, he he at 92, sat at 92 and 93 a lot yesterday. Yeah, yeah look, yeah. I, I thought Granke, you know, five innings, four hits, two runs, two walks, four strikeouts, 11 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. Uh, I, I actually was sort of encouraged by what, what I saw. Like, he didn't look... Yeah, that, he didn't look bad. He didn't look like, oh, man, this is a problem. That's a bad matchup for him, I feel like, and I don't know what his career numbers are against that lineup for those particular hitters, but he was dancing around the edges of the plate a lot, and that's not a lineup that's going to chase a lot of bad pitches. So I, I'm, and that's what he does. I, I'm mildly encouraged. Yeah, but 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 it still wasn't a very good start, and um, also they mentioned on the broadcast he's had problems in the past with the home plate umpire. That was behind the plate yesterday for Zach Granke. I want to bring something else up about Granke. Last year, he had a bad year, obviously. Granke had four starts in which he allowed seven or more earned runs. That's like, that's crazy. Seven, four, seven, excuse me, seven or more earned runs in four starts. In the other 22 starts, he had a 292 ERA. Uh, he had 15 quality starts. I'm, I'm gonna say at a 21, not 22, because I, I believe he left one with an injury in two, after two innings. Uh, he actually, Granky was a little better than I realized yesterday, uh, than I realized last year, as I was looking at it yesterday. And there was a lot of good there, not a lot of great necessarily, but it was really four starts, two of them early, that just destroyed his ERA and his season. I don't know. We'll hmm. see what happens. Obviously, this is a guy that we're going to be monitoring yeah. a lot early in the year. For what it's worth, Brooks baseball shows a bigger difference between his velocity last year and his velocity in this opening day start. It seems a lot it's not as encouraging if you look at that. And I don't know what the difference would be, why they would record different numbers, Fangrass versus Brooks Baseball. But Well that's what that's what bothers me about all this all this statistical, yeah. you know, revolution here. It's like why do we have all these different defensive metrics and why can't we why do we have different wars and, and why why can't we get simple thing like pitch effects right on the same and, you know, I just this kind of stuff. <laughs> Why can't we just agree? Well, let's I mean, get everybody on the same page. If people are going to make out numbers to be like the single most important thing in the world, don't you think that two websites do the same exact thing should have the same exact numbers? That's the point of numbers. I yeah, no, I hear you. I All don't right. disagree. Good, good. I'm glad you don't. Roberto Osuna is on the DL with a cervical spasm, and he must be on my auction team because everybody on my auction team is hurt. I picked up Jason Greeley for $5 yesterday. Um, your thoughts on this? I mean, I don't think it's going to be a situation where Greeley's saving games for long. Obviously, if it's a league where saves are scarce, you kind of have to pick them up. 
as you would anybody who gets moved into that role. Uh, but my thinking right now, it's very early hearing about this injury from Ozuna, but I don't think it's going to be a long-term DL stay. No, and I was more motivated to pick up Grilly because I am the Ozuna owner. I thought it was important because right. he's had this right. issue. His velocity's been down a little bit. So Grilly, by the way, looking at uh, last year's numbers, he had a 412 ERA. Awesome. It was 364 with Toronto, though, in 42 innings. He was really bad with the Braves. Uh, yeah, much better toward the end of the year. Um, and just kind of to give you a comparison, my, in, in my Tout Wars League, Fab ran for the first time last night. So, you know, we had the draft in early March. Blake Trinan was still out there. He went for like five times what Grilly went, and yeah. that's probably the way it should be. Yeah, I went and got Kinsler on my Azuna team. Oh, so. Kinsler. Yeah. Ian Kinsler, I didn't realize. No. Was available. <laughs> hey, uh, Melvin Upton. The Blue Jays released Melvin Upton yesterday. I feel like, Heath, uh, you probably kind of intrigued by this. He was a 2020 guy. 20 home runs, 27 steals last year. Yeah, I don't think he should just, just stay a free agent for very long. There's plenty of teams that Melvin Upton should help, so I'm just hopeful that he goes to a place where maybe he has a possibility of uh, semi-regular playing time. Should we be picking up Melvin Upton in a Roto League right now, thinking he'll be a well, starter somewhere? I pick think him that's up a... right now. It's it's more. I think the discussion's more about do you drop him if you already had him. He's 50 percent owned. Pretty deep Roto League, but. Um... Unless there's other base dealers out there, I think I'd hold on just a little longer, see how this plays out. Right. Yeah, I might. Could you make a speculative ad on him in an NL only? I don't. Uh, I Well, since he's not in, at least on our site, he's not available in the player pool because he was last with an AL team. But you're the commissioner, Scott. Can I, can I just... <laughs> if you could work something out with your commissioner. Okay. Um, no. The the AL, <laughs> no the the NLT the NL league I commission I'm not going to let you do that. Scott Scott is a tough commissioner. You know that. Yes, he is. Very yes. tough commissioner. Doesn't did you get your around. players on the disabled list? No, I didn't get my players on the disabled list. <laughs> Scott I'm sorry. Scott didn't think it was uh it was worth doing. Um, all right, uh, a few more notes. Roberto Perez, Cleveland catcher, four year, nine million dollar deal. Do you think he's going to play Wait. more than Jan Gomes? I, can I can I just go back to this for a second? Oh please! Because, I'm glad you are. I am glad you are. Well, I, with the Melvin Upton thing, like just because somebody is sneaky enough to be like, "Hey, can I get special treatment and pick up this player early?" Like, how is that going to make everybody else feel when they're holding on to their auction dollars, knowing that if anybody changes leagues, they're going to want to throw a lot of money at him. No. And this one guy just completely no, usurps no. the rules and gets him for nothing. That no, seems it, totally lame. You should not do that. You should not make the Melvin Upton exception. That is actually dumb. That is Heath being dumb. But <laughs> but the DL thing, you need to, you need to uh, evolve on. I, force players onto your DL early when they're not officially on yet, to be clear. That's Justin, what you were wanting to do. Yeah, the, just the, the real problem, and it happened to me in our – a league that actually Adam commissions is I had two players that went on the DL on Sunday and one of them I did not have a backup at that position so I put in waiver claims picked them up but because we had games yesterday I, those players are my roster for next week now so I'm stuck with Roberto Ozuna in my starting lineup for uh, the entirety of week one but that wasn't anything yep. the commissioner could have done right that was just bad luck but it's a, it's a, an illustration of why waiting until they're officially on the DL can really make things difficult. Like, you didn't oh, yes. have to wait until yesterday to pick up a replacement, though. You could have done it sooner. 
Well, yeah, if you just want to drop some other healthy player on your team. Yeah. But I don't, but we don't want to. (laughs) Nobody has to make those tough decisions in spring training because they have expanded rosters just for these types of situations. Okay. Um, and, uh, whatever. Who cares about Roberto Perez? Paul Molitor did say Brandon Kinsler is the closer. He said, Kinsler is my closer. I've talked to Brandon some about being open-minded about some situations, maybe a little bit unique to the old-school closer definition. So, I don't know. Maybe that means Kinsler won't get every ninth-inning opportunity. He might be used in the eighth. Whatever. He's a closer. And Gregory because Polanco. Because he's so good in high-leverage situations. <laughs> yeah. you, can't, you can't save Kinsler for the ninth. You need him with the bases loaded yeah. because he's Brandon Kinsler. Ooh, ouch. And um Gregory Polanco's gonna DH there at Boston. They opened the season in an AL park, so Polanco's gonna start as a designated hitter, but at least he's playing. Guys, I learned some very exciting news uh yesterday actually, and uh yeah, I'm gonna share it with you. You're not gonna care, but I do. Third Eye Blind is touring, and I am a big third eye blind fan. This would be my third time seeing Third Eye Blind, so it has to happen. Last night when I found out, I opened up the SeatGeek app on my phone. I searched Third Eye Blind. I saw they're playing at Jones Beach in June. Clicked on the event. SeatGeek does all the work. Searches multiple ticket sites, finds the available seats, ranks them based on value, and lets me know where the best bargains are. SeatGeek does the price comparison for me, so I know I'm getting good deals and I'm saving a bunch of time and money. And I'm no longer looking at multiple ticket sites on my own, which was a real waste of time and really annoying. So $48 tickets to Third Eye Blind. You can sign me up for that. You can get those seats for $28 because SeatGeek will give you 20 bucks back after your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and use our promo code FANTASY at checkout. Again, that promo code is FANTASY, all caps. And you're going to get a $20 rebate after your first purchase. So again, great website, great app. Download the SeatGeek app. Use the promo code Fantasy, 20 bucks back, and it's the best way, the most efficient way to get tickets. Some lineup stuff from yesterday. Should we have anticipated this? Javier Baez started at second base, Ben Zobrist in right field, Jason Hayward in center field. Baez batted ninth, he went one for four. I want to see if it happens again. Like, it happening on opening day, I think that makes sense. You can start John Jay on opening day, come on. <laughs> well, the way, the way Joe Madden put it, um, was it was a tribute to last year's World Series right. team. He had everybody on the field who was there at the end, and and he it sounded like a last minute decision on his part. So no, you shouldn't have expected it. Okay, he should have been thinking less about that, more about using his best pitcher in the late innings instead of losing a game without ever using him. Wow. Um, but uh, agreed. This is like this would be the ideal alignment. Like Jason Hayward in center field, he can play center field. Why not? But and he can't play center field as well as, as John Jay. And Ben Zobers can't play right as well as Jason Hayward. Are we sure Jason Hayward is can't play center field as well as John Jay? It's not like John Jay's Kevin Kiermeyer. I out think there. we're pretty sure. Okay. Like I'm not saying there's a huge difference. I think there's a bigger difference between Hayward and Zobers and right. Like Hayward and Zobers yeah. next to each other versus Jay and Hayward next to each other. That's a huge difference. Zobers. Is, I, I mean, do right fielders get enough chances that it matters? It's not, it's not like Zobrist is a bad defender. We're going back so. to just put the kid that can't catch in right field. Nobody will No, no, because Zobrist can obviously catch. I, uh, I just, I mean, this would be great. This would, this would be the way to make it all work out if this became their most common lineup and who cares if John Jay's in there. But I would guess based on the way Madden talked about it, this will not be the norm. Okay. And don't forget Albert Almora too, who's a very good fielder, right? 
And he's he is he could play center. He is very good, yes. But yeah. he would be platooning with John Jay and getting the lesser half of if it's even half of those at bats. Johnny Peralta batted cleanup for St. Louis. He went one for four with three strikeouts. Peralta is only third base eligible, so it's going to be hard for him to really matter, I think. Uh, Jed Jerko started over Colton Wong against a lefty. That looks like a platoon there. Corey Dickerson did lead off against a righty. He went one for five with two strikeouts against the Yankees. Steven Sousa apparently could lead off for Tampa Bay against lefties. It's probably more relevant in daily leagues. And a guy we haven't talked about much for speed, Malik Smith. He's batting eighth. He played left field for Tampa Bay. He stole 16 bases in 24 attempts last year, which isn't great. But 16 bases in 72 games is pretty exciting for Atlanta. Smith is filling in for Colby Rasmus right now as a groin strain. And, uh, by the way, he was 4 for 50 against lefties last year. Does Malik Smith have any mixed league uh, relevance? No. Okay. No. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, there were there's there's also some lineup news from today. Courtesy of Chris Towers. Courtesy of Chris Towers. Uh Xander Bogart's hitting sixth in the opening day lineup. That's not ideal. And with Anthony Rendon out, it sounds like Adam Eaton is hitting second. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. So I don't know I mean the Rendon thing's a little bit scary, but that would Adam Eaton, I feel like, is one of the guys that may have the biggest swing in his fantasy value, just depending on where, because he could hit anywhere from second to seventh. Adam Eaton, yeah. And he's gonna need those plate appearances. Right. He's more of a points league guy, Adam Eaton, than he is a roto guy, because he hits a lot of doubles and triples, that's the main reason, I would say. Right. Uh, when we look at the three games, Tampa Bay 7, Yankees 3, Diamondbacks 6, Giants 5, uh, St. Louis 4, Cubs 3, is there anything else you want to talk about that we didn't cover so far? Um, I can, alright, let me ask you a question. Are you concerned at all about John Lester pitching to Wilson Contreras and not David Ross? Not really. No. No. Wilson Contreras with a three-run dog. Yeah. Yeah, it was a nice game-tying home run in the top of the ninth inning off San Juan O. Contreras off to a good start, two for four day. Uh, are you intrigued at all by Starlin Castro, who's 58% owned, went three for four, and batted uh, 290 with 11 home runs after the All-Star break last year? Sounds like he's well on his way to doing that again, and where did that get him? <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. Let's see. Denard Spann is 35% owned. He led off. He went two for five at Arizona for the Giants. That, that's that's probably too low in terms of ownership. He is a guy, and I feel like this has happened for a few years now, that nobody really gets excited about drafting him. But inevitably, we're going to realize why is Denard Spann so lowly owned. He's He should be like a, 100% in points leagues. And that ownership will creep back up. There's not any upside there, but... That's too low. And uh I think my biggest loser yesterday was Jake Lamb. Jake Lamb, who I am a big fan of, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. He did bat cleanup. This was really tough for him. We know Lamb doesn't hit lefties well. He batted 164 and 110 at-bats, and he's facing Madison Bumgarner. So you had to figure it would be a bad day for him. But then in the eighth inning, tie game, nobody out, runners on first and second. Uh, they brought in a lefty to face Jake Lamb, and he promptly grounded into a double play. So, you know, I, I just wonder at what—look, it's, it's one day, but it is a concern. 
Do they eventually sit him against lefties? Do they pinch hit for him against lefties late in the game? I think the fact that Lamb was the cleanup hitter against Bumgarner on day one tells you something about what they think about Lamb, but he's, he does have to start hitting lefties a little bit better than 164. Yeah, the obvious thing that's working in his favor is that Brandon Drury is playing every day. I don't know who you're going to put at third that's going to hit lefties a lot better than Lamb. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, all right. I want to talk about a potential problem for Team Scam. Scam, Uh-oh. you ready? What's the problem? The problem is I'm very aggressive on the waiver wire. And, and this is not a league where you have to wait. You could just go grab somebody. Right. Really? I thought I thought I'd done away with all those leagues. Nope. Uh, I saved one, preserved wh- it. Why? Why would you go with the absolute worst way to, to do add drops? I think it's good to have a variety of different types of leagues in our repertoire. Not so when they're bad. Really empathize with all fantasy owners, no matter how they play the game. We should do a league with that counts nothing but wins. That's. I mean, sure. You just <laughs> draft uh, Fernando Rodney and San Juan O. <laughs> Is anybody else playing in that league, Adam? Is that a format type we're uh, we're not representing well here? Oh, well, maybe they will now. All they have to do is hear the, fa- <laughs> the CBS guys are doing it. Um, so here's here's the issue. Like, it's not so much, okay. hey, should we pick up this guy? Should we like, I, I trust you to make those ad drops. I don't want to give away the guys that I'm high on and say, hey, Scott, I think we should pick up this guy. Meanwhile, in the other three leagues that we're in together, or maybe it's just two, you're stealing my guys because Come I alerted on. you to them because I'm, you know, because I'm great, basically. But I don't, Scott only does waiver wire once a week in all our other leagues, so as long as it's not a Friday or Saturday, you're good. But this is going to change that. He's going to be like, oh, Adam likes this guy. Maybe I should. No, he won't take you, the time. Do you think you're really going to give me the scoop on a guy, Adam? He wouldn't take the time to go put your guys on the DL. He's not going to take the time to do that. I and think plus, I will give you a 16 team league. I mean, the kind, the quality of players on the waiver wire relative to the other leagues that we play in together. Like it's not, it's not even in the same ballpark. Speaking no. of the waiver wire, uh, one name that I want to get out there and not forget on this podcast that I noticed. We talked a lot about Delino DeShields last week. We didn't talk enough about him. Oh, oh really? He's 30% out. <laughs> Adam wanted to draft him in every league. Yeah. Adam well, got the message. I haven't been three or four leagues. Strong. He has not, uh, he's not been, I don't think there's any reason that should be below 55, is there? He should be owned in every five outfielder roto league, I feel like. And every AL only league. Yes. Um, so that, I have a hard time believing that's only 30% of our leagues. Well, he's owned about the same amount of leagues as, as Denard Spann. Who would you rather have, Denard Spann or Delano to Shields? Totally depends on format. Yeah. But probably Shields. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd probably own to Shields regardless of format. Yeah. Span is clearly his better format. Span's going to be better at points, but. Well, <laughs> not necessarily. I mean, if, if to Shields steals three times as many bases as him, which is possible. If like, that's possible, then he needs to be owned in much more than 35% of leagues. Just take a shot yes, early. Yeah. Don't miss no, the I boat. Agree. He needs to be owned in more than that. I don't know that I'd go as high as 60, but he needs to be owned in more than what he is now. I'm just going to tell you, if Delano DeShields steals that many bases, Adam Azer's going to have a very good year. Okay, because I got these, <laughs> I got me a lot of Delano DeShields. I'm actually sitting him in our Roto League just this week. I just want to see. I, you know, it's, I'm not quite ready to pull the trigger, but but I own him, so... 
here's here's to hoping. All right. Uh, so what is how is this going to work? Getting back to your original point, Adam, are you going to like text me when you want to pick a yeah, guy up? I think so. Or or I think okay. you and I should just have like a uh, a drop list of like the two players on our team that we're totally fine dropping if one of us sees someone on waivers. Because the only time I'm going to scoop you is if I'm watching a game or something and I'm paying attention at night and you're doing, you know, taking care of your kid, something completely unimportant compared to fantasy baseball and I'm <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, let's um let's pick, you know, let's pick this guy up and you might not be aware of it." But yeah, I think we'll have to set some some rules and some guidelines. Over under Heath, how many minutes of every show do Adam and I spend nah. talking about how we're going to do this? Too many. Yeah. yeah, it's already been too many, so we'll move yeah. on. Let's look at the most added list here. I was trying to transition into add drops, and the most added list, Blake Trinan is number one. Zach Wheeler is two. He's 61% owned. And Hyunjin Ryu is three. Another thing I wanted to ask you guys is who you'll be monitoring early in the season. Who's sort of on your watch list right now? Ryu at 44% owned was the guy that I was going to mention. I suppose if he has a good start, I'd be pretty interested in picking up Hyunjin Ryu. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I know Tyler Glass now still out there in a few leagues if he has a good first start. Charlie Morton, who I like as a deep sleeper. I've actually started picking up him up in some leagues where I had a roster spot freed up because of a player going on the DL, but there's still a few where he's available. Um, reuse a good one, like you said. The Milwaukee Brewers. All of them. All of them. I'm just going to be watching to see what does Keon Broxton do, what does Domingo Santana do. Travis Shaw's got seven games at Miller Park. We know what he's going to do. Uh, <laughs> how does Junior Garrett, does he look anything like what he did last year? Willie uh, Willie Peralta, the second half he had. Willie Peralta. Zach like, Davies. When is Ernan Perez playing? Eric Thames. Eric Thames. <laughs> Thames. Yeah. Thames. No, that's, Thames. A good, Thames. that's a good one. They, I mean, a Especially how they're going to sort out the playing time with all those hitters. I'm not. Did you mention Hernan Perez too? Yes, because he just could play briefly. But. Yeah, anywhere. And <laughs> Jesus Aguilar, how much is he going to play? How much does that cut into Thames at bats? There's uh, there's a lot of questions there. Broxton's probably too owned, but the rest are all are all possibilities for the waiver wire. Yeah, and I'm pretty aggressive early. I mean, if, if I see a pitcher have a great start, I, I am going, you can make fun of me all you want. I am the kind of guy who early in the season, I will pick up a pitcher who had a great start. Last year, I picked up Aaron Sanchez after his first start. And, uh, he obviously had a very good season. I, it's obviously about who you that's drop. The only, that's the only one you're gonna mention? Like, we're, <laughs> we're not, we're not gonna mention any of the other. I don't remember, I, I don't remember who I picked up, but oh. no, that's the point. Like, you pick up three right. or four guys, if one of them hits, you did a good job. Yeah. I, I call it casting a wide net and, and we're actually on the same page with this, Adam. Like if you're go- there are there are players who break out in every league every year on the waiver wire. And if you want to ensure that you're the first one to them, you have to be willing to make the move for them um the the first time everybody's the first time they're getting everybody else in your league's attention. First time they capture their attention. Um, they're no longer somebody who's going to fly under the radar. So you ha- if if you want to ensure your best chance of landing as many of those players as possible, you kind of have to make the move and, and have a short leash with them. Fine. If they're terrible next time, cut them loose for the next guy. The danger in this approach is obviously you don't want to go too far into your, you know, the players you actually drafted. You're, we're talking about just a roster spot right. or two you're playing with, not right. – you know, you're not dropping your 10th round pick this, for any this, of these players. This aggressiveness does greatly increase the chances that you drop somebody that 
has a great year, right? Yeah, that, that for some reason not that necessarily. almost never happens. I mean, I have talked about like the dumbest thing I ever did in fantasy was I dropped R.A. Dickey in early on in his Cy Young season because I just mm-hmm. didn't really think much of R.A. Dickey, you know, and and he won the Cy Young. But for the most part, I mean, there are just so many interchangeable guys at the end of your roster that right. you, you always want to be looking for upside and you always want to be looking for immediate value. Scott kind of talks about this a lot. It's like if I drop someone – you gotta drop someone that you think nobody else is gonna wanna pick up. So you could potentially right. get that guy back. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. Like, if you're dropping the bottom guy on your roster who just had a bad start to begin the year, in all likelihood you're going to have another chance at him. You're not, you're not dropping a guy who you have to worry about losing to somebody else. And it's not that you're giving up on him, it's just you're going after the player who you're mo- mo- you're more likely to lose to somebody else because of the performance he just had. So if we wanted to get ahead of the game, you know, Zach Wheeler is a guy that could definitely go out and dominate. It wouldn't surprise anyone, right? 61% owned. Um I I don't know. I I, I Scott's guy Brandon Finnegan. Yeah, he's he's like 55% owned. Yeah, I got I got a few shares of Brandon Finnegan. He yeah. walks four guys in his first start and Charlie Morton Strikes out eight and seven innings. I'm dropping Finnegan for Morton. Absolutely. Sure. Um, Gerardo Parra, I think, is 33% owned. We yep. talked about him. He's got good matchups this week, so he might be added pretty early. If he gets off to a good start. Patrick, Joe Musgrove. Patrick Corbin's 45% owned. Joe Musgrove, yeah. How old is he? He's uh, 51%. 45. Owned. 51. 51. 51. Yeah. Um, so there, look, there are actually too many guys right now. <laughs> this is why you got to pay attention to what they do early. And you pick up the ones that are doing well, you drop the ones that are doing poorly, but only if it's somebody that you can afford to lose. Uh, yeah. So, like, don't drop Tanaka. Let's just <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. Anything yeah. you're watching for in today's games? Anything big? A lot of aces out there today. Garrett Cole is my number one. How's he going to do? This is a tough test for him at Boston. Garrett Cole, Rick Porcello. That's a that's a matchup fantasy owner should should be paying attention to. Let's see how these guys do. One of the early games today, 205 Eastern. Right, right. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I got more. Sorry, I'm, like. pulling, I'm pulling up the matchups now, Adam. Irvin Santana is 74% owned. After the All-Star break last year, Santana had a 265 ERA, 81 strikeouts, and 88 and a third. And uh, he's got Kansas City. So it's... Yeah, Danny Duffy's who he's facing, so you'll want to keep an eye on the velocity of Duffy, actually, I think even more so than whatever happens to Santana. Santana, I feel like he's always going to be that fringy guy who you're looking to add whenever he's making two starts. And that's a Mitch good Hanniger. point. We got to see Mitch Haniger mm-hmm. in real baseball. We do have to see that, yeah. but I, I want to go back to Santana, like because we're kind of talking about being aggressive and and who to add and who to drop. Like, like you got to if you know it's somebody like Santana who. We've got a track record. We've got a long career. We sort of know what he is. You're less mm-hmm. likely to pick someone like him up than I don't know if there's anybody going today um, that has like huge upside that's not already owned. I, I if Ricky Nolasco, okay, just based on what Nolasco did in his last six starts, 147 ERA. If Nolasco has a big start against Oakland or Santana has a big start against uh, Kansas City, who would you be more likely to pick up? Well, still Santana. I mean, it, it's just we don't have a great example today for what you're I, talking about. I know. Alaska has so much of a uninspiring track record himself. Um, but I, I get what you're saying. And, uh, I agree. Like, 
quarterback, San, Kendall Graveman. If Santana, uh, I don't know. Kendall Graveman's pretty. Like I'm just not sure the talent base Patrick, is high enough. Patrick for me Corbin. To get excited. Patrick Corbin on Tuesday is the first one I see that if he has a good start. He's got right. more upside than Irvin Santana, more upside than Ricky Nolasco. Uh, that, that I right. could see me dropping someone that I kind of like for Patrick Corbin. If Irvin Santana has a nine strikeout in six innings games, which, you know, he's done that kind of stuff before, it's not going to mean as much to me as if Corbin does that. What about if Junior Guerra does it? Guerra is 78% owned. He had a 281 ERA last year. Well, yeah, because he'd be striking somebody out, which would be brand new. <laughs> All right. What if he just goes, who are they playing today? They're playing Colorado? The Rockies, yeah, in Miller Park. What if Junior Guerra goes uh, six innings, gives up two runs, strikes out four? Eh, I will think he's ju- still Junior Guerra. Okay. Probably not enough to move the needle for me either. Heath, any uh, DFS advice for today? You know, I think you stack the Rockies and the Brewers, right? Like, that's the simplest thing that you can do is the game with not great pitching in the best hitting environment is you go after that. The, the interesting thing will be, because yesterday it looked like fading Madison Bumgarner was a really bad decision, but then it worked out. One thing I would remind people is that they've added four points for the quality start on FanDuel. So... I think that levels the playing field just a little bit for some of the mid-range pitchers. Well, we also have uh, Scott Feldman going today for Cincinnati against Jeremy Hellickson. That could be a higher-scoring game. Maybe yes. get some Phillies in there. Cesar Hernandez, maybe a sleeper. Uh, you got Yolif Chassin for the Padres facing the Dodgers. And, I can't yeah. see paying 12600 for Kershaw. I'm more likely to go with Thor for 1500 less. What is John Gray today? Because you mentioned it wasn't good pitching on either side of that Brewers-Rockies matchup, and I don't know that that's true. I actually could see John Gray against the most strikeout pro lineup. He's 8,200. 8,200. So he is, he's a good cheap option, I think. Yeah, why would you, why Uh, would you stack, uh, why would you stack Brewers against John Gray? It's Miller Park. I mean, like, if, if we think that of John Gray, then he was drafted too early. Like, Miller Park is not Coors Field. It's not, but it's the closest thing. Is it really? Is it the second, in your mind, the second best hitter? I believe for left-handed hitters, it's actually the best park for home run hitters, for For left-handed home run hitters. Better better than Coors. There really is no comparison for Coors because, I mean, what what the the atmospheric conditions there do to pitches themselves. Right. They just completely, they can neutralize pitchers in a way that no other park can. So I I do think you're right that Miller Park was technically a better park for home runs last year, but the overall hitting um, the overall hitting issues of Coors Field just are, are beyond any park's comparison. I think John Gray sounds like a really good option though, because he could have a great start and and a lot of strikeouts. As I mentioned, Brewers struck out more than any other team in baseball last year. Doesn't mean it'll happen again this year, but it's all we got to go off of right now. Um, all right, so we, I wanted to talk about our, our Major League Baseball predictions. We forgot to do that last week. The story was up on the website. Uh, but before that, let's read some emails. Fantasybaseball at CBSI.com. This is from Greg in Baltimore. He says, Dear Jim, Johnny, Kaylee, and Simon. 
Those are the actors on the Big Bang Theory, right? Some for the oh, actors. Oh, interesting. Jim Haley Parsons, Woko, Johnny Galecki. Simon Hedberg. Yeah. Jim Parsons and Johnny Galecki. There you go. Happy yeah. happy opening day, says Greg. Six by six head-to-head categories league. OBP instead of average. Total bases and holds are the extra categories. How should I utilize my bench? That's actually, with total bases and holds being the extra categories, that's kind of interesting. How should I utilize my bench when I can make daily lineup changes, specifically with hitters? Should I play as many hitters as possible uh, that I can play each day? Will this hurt me too much in OBP? Should I stick to my starters? What do you think uh, I should do? Yeah, like how do you manage your lineup in these daily lineup leagues? I think it depends a lot on the size of the league. Uh, I'm in a 10-team daily lineup league, and, and there's so much talent available on the waiver wire and on, on everybody's bench that I'm all for getting as many plate appearances as possible. 12-team is kind of the, the crossing point for that. If it's anything deeper than that, then you're probably hurting yourself by playing these guys on your bench on yeah. a regular basis. I like more to use those bench spots. I mean, you, you okay, you want to have an extra outfielder to mix in when one of your many outfielders has a day off, maybe an extra infielder, depending on what kind of line of flexibility you have. But uh, I like it more to mix in. Like, if if you happen to get a lot of clo- more closers than the average owner, uh, I, but even... Be, if you can mix in middle relievers or just, you know, starters who you trust, you have those on your bench. I, I like to take advantage more of the pitching side of things, even if it just means putting a quality middle reliever in on a day when you don't have many starts. And let's think here, like, yeah, you should use your bench spot for pitchers. I'm actually looking at my roster in a 12-team head-to-head categories league. It's 7 by 7 and we have one, two, three, four, five. We have seven bench spots. Five of my bench spots are pitchers. Two of them are hitters. Uh, and week one is a little bit different because the off days are weird. But as you get further into the season, you know, th- there's only so much substituting you can do. Most teams are playing six or seven games. This is like, this is an eight day week. So like I have Anthony Rizzo and AJ Pollock on the bench today. I put in, I think Delano to Shields and Mitch Haniger. I, I, as, as long as I feel like those hitters are good, I am going to use them whenever I can. But I don't think you need to stream hitters. I think you need to stream pitchers. You can make much more of an impact with one starting pitcher than one starting hitter. But also, it's gotta be a good starting pitcher or it's gonna kill all your ratios. Yeah, that's, like, if it's, that's, if it's a league that's so deep that the kind of pitchers you'd be picking up are ones that would kill your ratios. That's where I think it's appropriate to start mixing in some relievers, even if they're not ones who get saves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can do that to help your your, your whip and your ERA for sure. By the way, it's Simon Helberg, not Hedberg. Important correction there. Thank you very much for that. This is Chris from Cincinnati. Dear Rick, Daryl, Carl, and Glenn. That's some walking dead. Dude, Scott, you're killing it right now. He's just on fire, not even exerting any effort. Uh, first time playing in a roto league, 12 teams. Do you suggest streaming starting pitching like in head-to-head leagues? Could help boost wins and Ks, but run the risk of bad outing hurting your ERA and whip. So, so this is a slightly different question. I did put them back to back for a reason, but, uh. I will stream two star pitchers. If they're ones worth having on my roster in the first place. Like, I'm more likely to run out and pick up an extra two star pitcher in a points league mm-hmm. than I am in a roto league. That's true. Okay, next email. Is from our boy Rupert, who's in the podcast for the People League. His first ever fantasy league was a fourteen, te- a sixteen-team head-to-head categories league with podcast listeners. So it was, um, 
it was daunting for him, but he did a great job. Uh, Rupert says, Dear Renton, Sick Boy, Begbie, and Spud. That's the movie Train Spotting. Dude! What in the world? <laughs> did you Google this? You're just no. killing it right now. No, I, this was one of my college roommate's favorite movies, and so he had a poster on the wall in our dorm room of the different characters from the movie, so. Is it good? That's how I knew it. Is it a good movie? I've never actually seen the movie uh, myself. What? <laughs> Neither have I. Uh, Alright, here's the question. I have Adrian Gonzalez at first base, and reading info on him, I see Gonzalez might lose his job at some point to somebody called Cody Bellinger. Should I pick up Bellinger and stash him on my bench, or would that be a waste of a bench spot? I would be dropping Kevin Pillar. Um, I think those are equally um, valuable pieces. I don't know. The, is Pilar really that valuable? Like, is, I think it's worth it just like because... Like, Bellinger may not ever... Right. But Pilar would probably not crack your lineup. 16-team league, mixed though. Mixed 16-teams. Yeah. I... St- yeah. I, I think, based on the buzz this spring, Cody Bellinger is going to be up at some point this season. I obviously can't guarantee how early it is. It doesn't necessarily have to be at first base. He was playing outfield in spring training. And he is one of the top hitting prospects right now. So, you know, is he is he that much more stashable than Yoan Moncada? I don't know that he's any less so, really. And I'd rather have Moncada than Moncada's already owned in that league, though. Pilar. So, right, exactly. So, this might be the best you can do is if you're looking to stash somebody who can actually be an impact player, which I think is pretty safe to say, Pilar will not. I will say that Pilar wouldn't have a spot on Team Scam because our team is just too good. But, you know, <laughs> most teams aren't. Uh, this is Paul from Prague. Dear uh, Nick Schmidt and Winston. That's an easy one for you. New Scott. girl. Yeah, new girl. Keep the streak alive here. Grade the trade. Give up Goldschmidt. Get Rizzo and Tanaka. Points League. Um, I will give that. Points League? Yeah. A... Oh, you're so generous with your it's grades. It's an A. It's, it's a, a favorable trade, but A is like it's an A. I could the, I could see myself taking the Goldschmidt side. Why? I'll give it a. I'll give it a B plus. A. It's an A. Good trade. People panicking over Tanaka. That's a that's a good thing to do. Uh, Dan in Iowa. All right, Scott. Can he can he go five for five? Dear Nick go. Nohart, Sammy Scrap, and Can O'Corn. <laughs> I have no idea. Ah. Who these are. <laughs> I have no idea either. I'll look it up. Uh, my 12-team points league went nuts on pitching in the early rounds. I decided not to follow suit. I ended up with a loaded, I mean loaded, lineup. Got to Grom early, but then it was all upside and almost no security. My question is, would you be comfortable with this pitching staff if you knew you had the best offense in a points league? Jacob DeGrom, James Paxton, Stroman, McCullers, Manaya. Estrada, Pinata, which is Pineda, Rodon, and Bundy. DeGrom, Paxton, Stroman, McCullers, Manaya, Estrada, Pineda, Rodon, and Bundy. That, that is one hell of a qualifier on there. If you knew you had the best offense, like you, you better. But as long as you have the best offense, I'm fine with that. I mean, there's a lot of upside here, even if you don't have the best offense. This could work out. I I wish I had a, like a truer number two pitcher than Paxton, but by the end of draft season, you know, Chris and I were competing over Paxton in round eight or nine. So like that's, that makes sense. Um, do you find out who these 
I, I think this is an old Nintendo reference. Really? I think these were... Nick Nohart sounds like a Care Bears villain. <laughs> I think these were names in in a Nintendo game before they were allowed to use real names, maybe? Ah. Uh, I'm hmm. not sure. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Uh, thank you for the I emails. Like the, I like question. the surname O'Corn. Cad O'Corn is very funny. <laughs> very funny. All right, so uh do we have our MLB predictions up? Give our division winners, wild cards, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all up on the site. I mean, do we have it and, up in front of us uh, right now? In front of us right now? No, I can do it off the top of my head. Wow. Oh. I wonder if I Yes, can. I have it up in front oh, of us. Oh, I have we it. We didn't now. have a lot of differentiation between the four of us. It, it was kind of underwhelming, I think. Okay, we all picked the Red Sox to win the AL East. We all picked the Indians to win the AL Central, except Heath was the only one who had the Royals finishing ahead of the Tigers in second place. But I do have the Indians winning the AL Central still. Um we all have the I'm surprised we all have the Astros winning the AL West. We love upside. Team Scam has the Rangers in second and the Mariners in third. And Heath and Chris, Team Kreeth, have the Mariners in second and the Rangers in third. I actually think I swapped that. I think I had the Mariners, then I switched it to the Rangers. Which um, is funny because, like, I'm the one who believes in Segura. Uh, Mitch Hanniger's my guy. James Paxton. I mean, Chris kind of stole him from me, but I'm still very high on him. Like, in a, on an individual level, it would seem like I'm the highest on the Mariners. And yet I picked the Rangers over them. I, I think maybe it's just I'm not down on the Rangers. Oh, yeah, the Rangers are, are really good. Uh, I, mean, that I have went the, to the rotation as, as good as anybody. I have the A's in fourth and the Angels in last, and the three of you have the Angels in fourth and the A's in last. Uh, National League, we all have the Nationals, then the Mets, but the rest is just a jumbled mess between the Marlins, the Braves, and the Phillies. Uh, Scott's the high guy on the Braves. He's the only one who has the Braves third. Heath Weird. and I have, oh uh, no, Heath has the Phillies third. I have the Marlins third. It, it, yeah, I mean, I guess I could see it. I can't really see the Phillies finishing third, but that's what Heath has. So, yeah, they're all kind of the same, right? Those three teams. There, there's um, a lot of upside, I think, on the Phillies and the Braves, and also tragically low floors for both of those teams. The Marlins, to me, are like they're. I feel pretty confident the Marlins are going to win somewhere between seventy and seventy-nine games. Marlins have the best offense of the three, I feel yeah. confident saying, but it's just the pitching is such a weakness. And yeah. there are, there are, I think, feel like there are more things that can go right for the Braves and Phillies, which is kind of what Heath was saying too. We all have the Cubs winning the NL Central. Team Scam has the Cardinals in second and the Pirates in third. Team Kreeth has the Pirates in second and the Cardinals in third. And then we each all have the Brewers and followed by the Reds. And Heath picked the Giants to win the NL West. That's a surprise. And uh, the rest of us have Dodgers 1, Giants 2. Wow, Giants to win the NL West, huh? Yeah, I just got some question marks about the Dodgers, and they, I feel like, are more susceptible to injury than the Giants are. I don't love their depth, especially in the pitching rotation. Yeah, they've got a lot of names, but they've got two verifiably good starters. That's what everybody brings up first when they talk about the Dodgers is the depth. Yeah, I'll look at the depth. Yeah, I, the problem is, like, I think they have depth because a couple of their starters aren't actually very good, and then there's, yeah. like, six of them that are that same level. That's, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I mean, I think, like, I think Alex Wood is pretty good. I think, uh, um, uh, who else got left out of the rotation? Well, obviously, Arias is going to be up at some point. 
And Casimir, if he gets his velocity back, he's okay. But I don't know about the hitters if there's as much depth. Like, I, I certainly like the Cubs hitter depth more. I know some people are picking the Dodgers to upset the Cubs and get to the World Series. Okay, I, just, well, I don't really see that. Yeah, that leads me to the World Series here. Uh, oh man, I picked the Cubs. I was hoping I did something a little more creative. Let's just say who you have winning. Chris has the Dodgers over the Indians. I have the Cubs over the Astros. Heath? Cubs over Red Sox. Scott? Cubs over Red Sox. MVP in the AL, Mike Trout, Mike Trout, Mike Trout. And Scott wanted to be different. He went with Josh Donaldson. MVP in the NL, Chris Bryant for me, Rizzo for Heath. Have you heard that one before? And Harper for Chris and Scott. Team Cot. Why not? (laughs) <laughs> A.L. Cy Young. We have four different answers here. Uh, Archer for me. Heath. Sale. Chris. Strowman. Scott. Str- uh, Verlander. He was, in, he did say he was inspired by Rick Porcello's season in choosing Marcus Strowman. Ah, okay. That's a good call. Um, I decided not to go with Kershaw for Cy Young. I went with DeGrom. Everybody else went with Kershaw. Um, we all went with, yeah, we all went with Ben and for AL, Rookie of the Year. NL Rookie of the Year for me, Hunter Renfro, Heath. Coda Glover. Chris. Gansby Swanson. Scott. I also picked Dansby Swanson. There's a lot of Team Cot in these predictions. Yeah. Like. Way to go, Team Cot. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening. Back tomorrow with a super fun, awesome, informative, who to add, who to drop episode of Fantasy Baseball Today. See you later.